Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Well, I'm pretty excited about this show, Tyler, because we get to talk about my favorite federal agency. And I think everybody should have a favorite federal agency. And there's a couple in the candidate pool for me. NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, is number one on my list, followed by the National Park Service. Those are my two favorite federal agencies that I think do a great job. And we're going to get to talk to one of the professionals from NOAA today, and I'm really jazzed about that. Yeah, I am too. So we have as our guest today, Nicholas Mickey Schmidt, who is a division chief for science and geospatial services in the Office for Coastal Management. These are the federal professionals who implement and guide the states in the implementation of their coastal management programs all around the United States shoreline and the Great Lakes. Uh, Mickey is in a very specific segment of that exercise, which is to provide scientific data and information to all the coastal managers out there in the United States, both in the public sector and the private sector. And uh, so I'm really jazzed to learn about what he's doing and what Noah's up to. So if you've been, you know, listening to uh, the American Shoreline Podcast Network, for example, like this show, or I don't know, you've been paying attention to any of the professional grade coastal content out there, you've probably heard of the Digital Coast. This, this I hope so. This portal that uh, the federal government does through NOAA that compiles all of this excellently amazing uh, gotten data yeah. uh, all about our coasts. And this is, of course, really important if you're trying to manage your uh, coastline scientifically. You're going to need this data uh, for both government purposes and I think it's fair to say for private sector purposes as well. 100%. So I really look forward to uh, this conversation today, Peter. I think we're going to learn a lot about... Uh, the digital coast system, but before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Well, Mickey, thanks for taking time out of your busy day to join us on the American Shoreline podcast and to talk about NOAA's Digital Coast Project. 
uh, thanks a lot for being with us. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about Digital Coast to your listeners. Well, it's such an important effort. And uh, as we like to do on uh, the American Troll podcast, we like to have our audience uh, get a better feel for who it is they're listening to. Uh, Mickey, can you tell us about your tenure at uh, at NOAA and how you got to the agency? Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Uh, I've actually been with NOAA since 1996. So it's, wow. um, yeah, in my... Uh, 24 years here. It's it's been a great ride. Um, I was brought on to start our GIS program, and it's it's been been a lot of fun growing the expertise, the skill sets, and and the Digital Coast program to really serve our prime constituency. I previously uh, before joining NOAA, I was down at uh, NASA Stennis Space Center, uh, where I had the opportunity to work with the growing or uh, just nascent remote sensing industry. Um, working with private sector. Uh, NASA had a program uh, to uh, provide uh, opportunities for small businesses and large businesses to explore the benefits of applying uh, satellite-derived and airborne-derived imagery uh, to grow business. And so I had a really unique opportunity at the ground floor of that NASA program uh, to work with, uh, uh, with growing firms and exploring the the benefits of this this technology to addressing issues worldwide and um so that was about i I was at nasa stennis for about six years and prior to that i was a contractor to the u.s army strategic defense command in huntsville alabama where i was applying geospatial technologies for those types of activities so so when i got the call to come join NOAA, i got got the chance to move back to um my home state, which is South Carolina. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, and just been very fortunate uh, to join this this uh, organization. Mickey, let's go back uh, before the Army uh, contractor period. Were you, uh, I'm, I'm thinking now because of the Digital Coast, are you a, a data scientist? Are you a computer scientist? Is that your background? Well, my education, I have degrees in marine science and uh, geography and ah. geography and the technologies of remote sensing and GIS. So mapping, cartography, uh, and the like. And then, so what was interesting was, you know, I was hired out of grad school to to join, you know, supporting the Army with mapping and remote sensing activities. And then who knew, uh, I guess, eight, eight years later, I'd get the call from NOAA to all come and apply my marine science degree as well. So it, it worked out pretty well. That did work out. I'm glad you got to get into the Marine zone. Well, let me, I got to ask you, so when you were working with the Army doing uh, aerial photography analysis, is that a different, the different kind of Marines, like the United States Marines? <laughs> Are we talking about trying to use aerial photography to find the bad guys? Is that what you were doing back in the old days? Uh, I, I didn't do that. I was more <laughs> domestically based, looking actually at, um, at our, our domestic uh, air, air bases and military installations. Well, well, CONUS, but also OCONUS out into the Kwajalein Atoll and out into the Pacific Islands. What we were doing, uh, the program I was involved with, was helping the Army understand the potential risk to uh, debris from launches. 
So we would map uh -huh. we would map the communities and population centers and the geography around those launch pads to identify risk to falling debris from from potential launches from those bases. Well, that sounds that sounds like heavy duty stuff right there. Uh, let's talk. I want to talk a little bit about um, why this era that we're in, uh, Mickey. I I know that. Um, a hugely important job of NOAA. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the original survey, the coast survey uh, thing was like one of the first parts of the NOAA government. You can trace it way back to like right. George Washington or something. Yeah, the early mapping Thomas of the Jefferson. American coast. Yeah, Thomas, Thomas Tom, old TJ. Mm -hmm. TJ was, you know, big on knowing what was out there, Lewis and Clark, etc. cetera. Uh, anyway... You know, in those days, of course, uh, this data was compiled by hand, uh, mm -hmm. maps, uh, you know, compasses. I, I'm just very, I, I, the, the means and methods that they were used to determine even distances and things like this. I mean, a lot of trigonometry, I suspect. You know, hard, <laughs> yeah, hard. A lot of math. A lot of math, but it was, it was, this was pen and paper math. This was, uh, and now we live in a world where we have computing power and we're able to. Um, comprehend using the power of computers so much more data, which I think lends to the necessity of a portal like the Digital Coast. But would you mind talking a little bit about uh, why the Digital Coast was created back in, I believe you said... Two, uh, 2003. Seven? Seven. 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 2007. Seven. 2007. Yeah. So 2007, we create this. Concept. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. So in 2007... We, we, the United, the, the public, uh, invest in this digital coast. What, what are we trying to do with this program? Yeah, I really appreciate the question. And, and sorry for the interruption a minute ago, but it, it was there was pieces of digital coast conceptualized in the early two thousands. Really, we established this this concept around two thousand seven, and it was driven um, from several several factors. One one being that. The community we were trying we were trying to serve uh, could not find the data they needed. Um, it was hard to get to. It was hard to access. It was hard to ingest into their their computer systems, their software, and so there was a, a huge need in the community to get better access and to get access to information that they felt was authoritative and they could trust. There were a lot of sources out there. It's just was, there were inconsistent formats, and and from a coastal uh, perspective, uh, the data there was so much they didn't know where to go. So that's what our constituent base would tell us. And secondly, then you had a whole range of users that were beyond those data processing folks who could ingest data and manipulate it any way that they 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 wanted to, who had those skill sets and expertise. But the, the benefit of those data wasn't being realized by the management or policy community. And so we, we saw a, a significant uh, opportunity to demonstrate that continuum from the data to the decision maker and, and really creating actionable information from all those data that would reach a broader audience. And so uh, we in, envisioned that that opportunity to provide in one platform, and we refer to the Digital Coast as an enabling platform, that whatever the skill set, whatever the uh, expertise of the user coming in, 
they they could get to information uh, quickly and get to information that answered their questions. So, so for the geospatial data crowd, they most of them just want to download the data, and therefore we put a lot of emphasis in making data accessible and ingestible in formats that they can readily use. Uh, However, then you have a whole nother group of folks that just want to quickly visualize those data. And so we have this whole tool section on integrating those data into visualization um, visualization tools. And then there's a whole other community that wants to learn how to apply those data and uh, apply those tools. So we have a robust training component to the digital code. So, so it came about, um, trying to meet that that need out in the community. And, and now, you know, there are a lot of systems out there that are, are providing data. Uh, some are providing a lot of linkage to tools. Um, but I think, you know, Digital Coach really fills that niche of providing that, that continuum from data in to action and decision making. And so we feel like we're filling that niche and we really feel like uh, our approach uh, to working with our user community and the partnership we have formed uh, is really uh, is really the secret sauce to to making it all sing. It, it's really a great program, and for the listeners out there, if you've got it, if you're not driving in your car or if you're at a computer while on your run, yeah, if, you're, you're if you can listen to listen to this on your with a computer nearby. Uh, Google up Digital Coast, Noah Digital Coast, and go to the website. It'll help you follow along in this discussion. Uh, I think that what I love about it, uh, Mickey, is is that every day there are decisions being made on the American shoreline to build things, to respond to risks and threats. Uh, cities and counties all along the American shoreline are struggling with what is the best approach to tackle shoreline erosion or uh, clear sky flooding or inundation, uh, losses of wetlands and all of that. These are very complicated physical issues. And coastal managers, the people who are broadly assigned to address these concerns around the American shoreline, have to have a clear and accurate understanding of the landscape that they're operating in. And Digital Coast is this massive portal of an incredible body of information that is made available to the public and to the private sector at no cost. So when when I say that was my favorite agency, if you're looking for bang for the buck on your tax dollars and want to look at an agency that really serves the public, there's not a better example, in my opinion, than NOAA. The National Weather Service, the National Hurricane Center, the Office for Coastal Management, all across the agency, we are investing as taxpayers millions and millions of dollars in data that we distribute to the world for free. And I think it's something to be really proud of. And I, I think this is a great example of that. I, I, I agree. I'll jump, I I'll jump on that. And the other thing... So talk about bang for your buck. Yeah. And Mickey, we got to talk about this. But my understanding is that uh, making this data available has an, a positive economic impact because uh, several uh, private sector companies use this oh, data yeah. and b- create value for their company by using it and analyzing it and you know presenting it to the broader marketplace and to clients out there in a clear way. So 
Yeah, uh, tell us Mickey, about do that. you know anything about, uh, can you talk to us about the uh, kind of this churn? You make the data available out there and then it, uh, companies come in and do great things with it. What do they do? Yeah, um, I'd actually start even a step back in that we work with companies to help provide the data as well. NOAA collects a lot of data, but we also have incredible partnerships with private sector firms that help us collect the data. And because we use taxpayer dollars to uh, contract for those data, they're, they're all made publicly accessible. And we have those relationships with the private sector to enable that to happen. So, so, so with that said, uh, Yes, a, a large amount of the users are from private sector firms and large engineering firms and, and, and small small firms as well who are consultants on various coastal coastal projects. So, so you know, we track uh, as, as much as the government allows us to track who downloads our data and we can track by URL at least. And, and, and from a data perspective, almost 70% of the data are downloaded by dot-coms. So, so we know there's a significant amount of users out there from the private sector, and they're using these data um, a lot in their their environmental studies, their elevation studies, their their land land surveys. Um, they're they're using the data to assess risk and vulnerabilities. The insurance uh, sector um, uses the data, and they're they're supporting state programs. Uh, uh, local programs, federal programs, uh, and applying these data to address those those issues. Uh, some of which you've already mentioned, like uh, shoreline erosion, shoreline management, uh, understanding how the beach face has changed, uh, looking to support, for example, Corps of Engineers um, uh, beach renourishment projects, uh, looking to understand base elevations. So for uh, uh, requirements continue, as you, I'm sure you and your audience is aware, requirements uh, uh, for freeboard and development are happening because of potential changes in water levels and sea level rise. And so having that highly accurate elevation information is a critical first step in understanding the landscape in which they're working. Yeah. And, you know, I, w I would encourage the audience out there uh, that the that the site is valuable and interesting, even for the average uh, coastal citizen around around the American shoreline. It is, when you enter this portal, I think let's talk a little bit about what's inside when you enter enter the room of the digital coast. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot to look at and shop for in here. There is an amazing, amazing compilation of up-to-date data, and you are 100% right. That's a, very expensive to compile. And as a citizen, you've got the right to dig around in here and learn about your own town, your own neighborhood, even your own property, what the risks are. Um, so, uh, Mickey, can you give us an overview of the information that is made available through Digital Coast? Sure. Uh, I'd begin with the data tools and training components. Uh, so users, uh, if you want to download data and find data, we've made it pretty pretty easy for the data user to come in and access various sources of data. Uh, we, if you click the data button on the website, you'll go to uh, what we call a data registry, and within that are thousands of data sets accessible and searchable by your geography, your state, your your county, uh, your town. And, or data type, whether someone would want land cover data uh, or elevation data like uh, that comes from LIDAR technologies. 
for satellite data or aerial photography. So there's various ways to search for those data. And the user uh, can step through the process to see what's available. They, we then have, uh, for the data that we host, and, and, and remind me to come back to that, but for the data we host, uh, we have a actually a custom uh, data delivery system called the Data Access Viewer, which enables the user to draw or put in their coordinates and their footprint that they would want the data uh, served from and go through several steps to identify projections and uh, datums and other factors and, and then submit that request and then the system automatically uh, compiles those data and then sends the user an email when it's ready to be picked up via uh, FTP, for example, or through through the internet. Wow. Um, so so the that, that's, that, that, that's for the data we host. And we host a very large repository of, of elevation data, uh, land cover data, and orthophotography. Right. So for, you know, I think this would be great. If, I'm a, if I lived in Galveston, Texas, and I wanted to know more about my town, I can pull up satellite imagery of that particular part of the American shoreline. I can get the actual elevation of the land in the town. I can get land cover, which is what is what is what has been built in my community. Uh, you have weather, climate, hazard data, economic and demographic data. I mean, are, are there terabytes of what can you how much stuff this just seems like an enormous amount of information that you guys have compiled and organized and made available to the to the world at large yeah if you um if if, if you count all the lidar points that we have it's it's well over 500 terabytes of data um wow. that we're, that's a we're lot that's out. a lot yeah i mean it, it, relatively yes it is it is a great a good deal of data uh, there's no doubt um if if a uh, if a piece of data, if a byte, or is it a bit? <laughs> or I think it's a bit. I think. Or a grain of sand. A point. Yeah. A point line I wonder how many enough. cubic yards that is. <laughs> how many cubic yards of data that is? <laughs> it's a lot. Fun. It depends on the coarseness. I but guess the, is the, the is the truth. You know the the elevation data. This is uh, tell us about what that actually what is available to me as a city manager or a planning director in a town or a, a coastal engineering consultant. What kind of data is available at free of charge? By the way, what what am I actually going to be able to get uh, does it cover the entire coast of america yeah we we have almost we have high resolution elevation data and by that around a one meter contour uh, ability um, for most of the country where we're lacking uh, data is in the state of alaska so that is the one place where it's um, we don't have that high resolution uh, lidar derived data uh, data elevation data does exist for the state of Alaska, but it's at a coarser re re uh, resolution, okay. now and that's available through the U.S. Geological Survey. So, um, but the, the data could be downloaded if, if people want to ingest 
all of the data and manipulate it themselves, they can download the individual point data, which, and from a, a, a LIDAR instrument, it's a, it's a light detection and range, ranging is what LIDAR stands for. It, it's, it's nothing more than a laser pointing at the ground and, and counting the return of that light from bouncing off of the, what, the surface and coming back up to the, the sensor on the aircraft. And that return rate is what determines the elevation and, and millions, millions of points are collected um, during those acquisitions. What a lot of folks want, if you're talking about your planners and other other audiences, and, and I'm speaking in general terms because there'll be others who in that community that want the raw data, uh, they want contours. And so they want to understand the ch the, that gradual change in elevation and that and that original data set enables the, the, to derive those elevation, those subtle elevation changes. Right. So, for example, if someone wants to understand where water flows, and NOAA is all about that, and, and many people along the coast want to know if we're going to have a storm surge of 10 feet, how, how far inland will that water go? And elevation data enables folks to understand that surge and how far it will go inland. Obviously low flat areas like in the coastal plain here in the low country of South Carolina or the state of Florida, very, you know, the whole Gulf Coast, very concerned about those subtle changes in elevation. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter as much maybe in some of the, the Pacific Northwest steep coastlines or uh, for right. that type of uh, information. But that's one, one real, uh, uh, common application. Can I let me ask you a quick question there on the elevation data because one of the things in reviewing the information available that I was uh, had as a question in my mind is the frequency with which it is updated. And I had this fantasy that you could look at an area of digital a digital elevation data set for let's say uh, the panhandle of Florida in 2018, and then look at that same area, digital elevation information for 2020, and see how the shoreline may have been changed by the intervening hurricanes. I mean, can you do that kind of comparative? Get the delta of yeah, the delta. that's right. I want to know what the difference is and how it's changing, and have we lost the dunes, or are the dunes getting bigger? Or is that a possible uh, analysis to do with the available data on digital coasts? It is, it is, and that's one of the principal applications of remote sensing technologies is to be able to do that revisit. You know, we have a whole program called the Coastal Change Analysis Program that does that land cover mapping every on a five-year interval basis and to see and visualize those changes. In communities impacted by storms like you just described, the local entities usually um, try to get funding to do those, those, those repeat flyovers on a more frequent basis so they can do that change detection per se is, mm -hmm. is, is the terminology and, 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 and see and do that assessment. And, and folks use some of their, their supplemental funding or other, other funding streams to, and disaster declaration uh, funding to help fund those, those data collects so they can do that type of analysis. And, and with technology advancing as, as much as it is, there's a lot of real-time acquisitions after storm events now with drones and, and other, other types of uh, data acquisition services. So for small areas and, and large areas, it would, you know, different technology solution. But yeah, that change detection is done readily. And what, what from an elevation and change perspective, uh, we don't, 
we provide the data. Yeah, so if the state of Florida collected data uh, in 2018 and then 2019, a storm hits, if they provided data to us, we will serve it up uh, for them. Um, a lot of states have their own GIS systems and data repositories and data systems, and by no uh, means do we ever want to duplicate effort. Uh, we offer our services to coastal states uh, to house their LIDAR data. And if they don't have the you know the resources to do so, uh, we just ask that they maintain it and they provide us updates, and we're happy to work with them mm. to to do that type of analysis. Because we uh, one of the points I wanted to get back to earlier was for the I was talking about providing access to the data we host. Um, there's also uh, many other sources of data that our partners provide to us, or other federal agencies uh, collect and host, and others across NOAA. Uh, that are providing data that we provide link linkages links to. So we're not hosting the data, but we are providing a, a user uh, access by pointing them in the right direction. Right. Uh, we do not want to duplicate effort. And so, for example, say our 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 brethren in the net in the National Ocean Service with the Integrated Ocean Observing System. Uh, they have regional associations around the country, and they're collecting real time ocean OBS data uh, continuously. Digital Coast is not about serving up real-time data. However, we do have a user base who's interested in understanding the, 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 that buoy data or that current data, and we will point the, that user to the observation program. So, so it, Digital Coast is a lot about you know connecting people as well. Uh, we, we don't claim to be the total solution. Uh, however, we do feel like we we know what's out there, and we want to help that user get to their information that they're looking for with the fewest clicks possible. And, and uh, or user community gets pretty frustrated if they have to hunt, hunt for data types. And so. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're basically, this is the, you guys are stepping into the interstitial space here and offering a more user-friendly, I would say, uh, entry point into all of this government data. And if you've ever gone and looked for government data before, it can be a little intimidating and a little gnarly. And this website is actually really damn beautiful. So a, a couple quick things I just want to breeze through. So that if you go to the website, it's like very clear that they they divide this thing into several different kind of categories. So you've got the data section. And just to quickly breeze mm -hmm. through it, we've been talking about different types. That so you got elevation, land cover, cover, weather, climate, and hazard. It's imagery, economic and demographic data. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Boundaries, shoreline and surface water data, infrastructure data, marine habitat and species data, water quality data, and ocean uses and planning areas data. So that's a, a lot. Lo that's a lot of different types of data. And then the next tab over uh, is tools. <clears throat> Tell us about what I think we know what a data data is. It's a it's merely it's merely a number. Like it's it's a measurement, um, or something. You know, it's 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 a it's a data point. That's what it is. Tools allow us to do something with with those uh, building blocks of data. So talk to us a little bit about the tools y'all have built uh, on the digital coast. Yeah, I appreciate that. And 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 if, there, if time allows, would love to get back to your surprise about the economic data because that's a really really popular data set as well. We will. Uh, but from the tools, uh, yeah. So I I think I mentioned in the beginning uh, 
there are a lot of users out there who want the data. We, we put a lot of emphasis, though, on integrating those data and enabling the communities uh, and users to visualize and use and apply those data to particular issues. So the decision support tools is, 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 is probably the long vernacular for the tools section. But these, these are resources developed to uh, help that user uh, step through processes or understand and visualize all of those data. So for example, uh, all the LIDAR data we've been talking about are elevation data. We developed probably the, the probably the, the most popular tool on digital coast is the NOAA sea level rise viewer. And so that that's a that's a tool that uh, anywhere al along the coast, um, U.S. coast, you can zoom into your geography um, and visualize what uh, one meter or one feet, one to ten feet of sea level rise would look like for your community. Hmm. And so that tool gives that quick visual representation of potential. Uh, impacts to rising sea levels uh, from hmm. one to ten foot elevation so let me let me let me ask you a question there so if i yeah. if i live in uh i don't know pick a coastal town let's say ventura california i was thinking ventura california and <laughs> and you're reading in the news and somebody says you know there's a chance that sea levels will rise by 18 inches over the next 10 years and you think huh i wonder what would happen in ventura california if the sea level rose by 18 inches can you go into this tool and and experiment and and project what will happen to your community with a sea level rise of that level is it that accurate is it that specific spatially can you do that with this uh, with this product yeah we do it at one foot in increments but okay. we also what we do is we've ingested the national climate assessment assessment projections so mm -hmm. so the user you could go in look at ventura and and if you're familiar with the national climate assessment you know they have um yep. various uh scenarios yes uh, low medium high potential in the future and and so uh we made adjustments to this viewer um about two years ago, where we we brought in those various scenarios for locations. So you could go to Ventura, you could uh, click uh, on the various uh, indicator or the height of sea level and the year and the and whether you wanted a low, medium, or high uh, uh, estimate for sea level rise. Oh, great! And so all the way to twenty one hundred. Okay. Um, wow. So you can pick, pick your year, and there's a slider bar on the tool. Uh, hopefully, it's intuitive if you haven't used it before, where you can select those various options. Great. So, so this would be, you know, if I were a city council member in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and there was a big development proposal I was supposed to review and make a decision on, and I was just curious about what's the future fate of this particular parcel of land that these folks want to put, you know, maybe a $50 million investment on. You could go to this tool and and work through the visualization of shoreline uh, or sea level rise and actually look at it on a scale that would be, as you said, this is a decision support tool. It's meant to be put in the hands of the decision makers and to inform them in their decisions. Is that a fair assessment? Could you, would you expect a city council member to be able to, uh, you know, someone who's not a professional to be able to get into the Digital Coast uh, viewer and use it? Is it designed to be Absolutely. that user friendly? 
Absolutely. And we have stories on the website that document exactly what you just said. <laughs> so yeah. there, there, there are a couple case case studies along those lines. Um, in Biloxi, Mississippi, for example, there's a water treatment uh, facility that the, that the city decided um, to, they looked at the viewer and made the, the decision to invest in relocating their water treatment plant wow. because they saw the data. So, uh, Ty, off the coast, off the coast of Georgia, Tybee Island, Georgia, uh, a barrier island, uh, a small barrier island off the coast, has one causeway coming to the island. They, the the mayor there, looked at the viewer and and brought it to his council because you know there's only one way in and out, and with three feet of sea level rise, there was no road left. So they made the investment decision to raise their causeway. So there's there's those kinds of impacts that um, or decision making that we hope these tools uh, provide. And there we have over, well over 100 stories from around the country on the website that folks can learn similar uh, from various products that Digital Coast uh, supports that tell those stories of how how you know these resources enabled them to to come to some point of decision making and that that's what that's that's the goal that we have for digital coast is to enable our our constituents to be more informed and and make make you know more informed decisions all right so so i think that that's a really excellent description of the what the power of these tools obviously it's like a hammer or a screwdriver are there any other tool in your tool belt you can use these things, these tools to conduct analyses that might be needed in your decision-making process. But I also notice you've got a training tab. And I do want to go back to the data later, uh, the economic data, because we, we like to think about that here, Peter and I, on uh, ASP. But uh, moving along the next tab over, training. I think that this is a really – I'm this interested in the order, by the way, I, that you're doing this yeah. uh, on the website. I, I'm, I'm, I am interested. Uh so training, uh, what, why was this, uh, I guess, you know, tab necessary? Um, what are you hoping to get out of this training, these training uh, materials? Yeah, we, we, we hope to, uh, again, enable the user to understand all the resources and how to apply them. So if, it, if, if folks don't understand the, the data we've been talking about, there are training classes on, on what, what, is it, what is LIDAR, you know, and the basics of, of, of LIDAR. We also have uh, many other resources that enable communities to uh, interact with their constituents. So, for example, a, a county... A county planner wants to facilitate meetings or learn how to f tricks in facilitating uh, constituent meetings or uh, to uh, help their community understand risk. And so we have courses on risk communication. We have courses on how to map uh, coastal inundation and, and again, address that issue of, of helping their communities understand risk. So, so our goal is to provide uh, learning resources that um, it's not just a one-time training. Uh, we want we we track how folks have applied those trainings uh, after they sit through a course, or whether it's 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 delivered uh, via online or if it's a self-paced resource. 
uh, we want to understand how they're applying it and the value that the training has brought them. So interesting. Uh, yeah, and there are many other types of uh, there's different types of training resources or learning resources on there, and we've we've kind of tagged it now recently the Digital Coast Academy, where folks um, can um, feel like they're attending almost that kind of um, yeah. That, that curriculum to step through various levels of training. I love material. it. So as a, as a, as a good old American citizen, uh, can I sign up for these classes and does it cost money for me to go through the digital coast Academy? Uh, it, it's not set up that way. There's set, but there are, there are several things that would, um, that the public can take advantage of one, the online resources and self-paced resources, anybody can access. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the trainings themselves, like the half day or two day or whatever, how many duration in-person type changing ch- uh, tr- uh, courses are actually driven by our partners. They make the request. Uh, so say a state coastal management program or a national estuarine research reserve wants to host a training for their partners, we will then, uh, based on their request, we will either come to their facility pre-COVID or hopefully post-COVID um, and deliver that course. And right now we're doing a, a lot of those courses online. Okay. So there are different methods to yeah. it, but there's also, we also offer uh, uh, continuing education credits for some members. So our partnership with the Association of State Floodplain Managers has floodplain certifications as well as the American Planning Association and their, their, their members need to continue education credits. So we have programs set up to where their members can get credits from taking okay. uh, some of our courses. This is great. So the, 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 and you're right, there's a broad category. Again, folks, you got to get on the website and take a look, but there's classroom and instructor-led education. There's online instructor-led education. There's self-guided education, case studies, publications. You know, in other words, you've built this great tool, I've compiled all of this data, and you've got to teach people how to use it. So let me ask you a question. If I'm a, if I'm a city planner uh, and we're facing a, a, a vulnerable area of the city that's been damaged by hurricanes and we're trying to decide what level of, of redevelopment to allow, and there's a bunch of landowners in my town who are real sensitive about any kind of questions about what do you mean you're going to tell me what uh, I can or can't do with my property, uh, Mr. City Manager. Um, could I contact, could a city contact Digital Coast and say, we would like to come down, you to come down and put together a training to discuss and t- with our community the vulnerabilities of this particular area based on the data and information you have? Is that the kind of request that could actually be brought forward? You know, as a community, a community exercise, a community education exercise. Yeah, we partner with, like I mentioned earlier, uh, the Estuarian Resource Reserves who do that for their community. We will come and deliver a training to the city planners' uh, audience, and come, but we will. We can't be put in a position to advocate for their cause but we will I understand. but we will provide a, a, a training that enables folks to see the issue and make their own do their own assessment of course you guys are a neutral right? neutral data uh, yes. organization you're not there to get involved in local land planning 
decisions. Uh, but the but having the public understand the risks of a particular area and how to understand elevation and flood risk and storm surge is very much in keeping with the general notion of what Digital Coast is about, it seems. Yeah, we, our, our target audience there is that planner, that we enable that planner to then have the wherewithal to you know have a, a more informed discussion. Uh, that would be our primary uh, audience for that. However, in gotcha. the scenario that you described, if, if they're having a training for their you know con- constituent base, um, we do, you know, we do have trainings like that as well. And, and, and it's really this partner relationship that's so critical to Digital Coast. And I'm going to tick off the partners. You've mentioned a few. Uh, mm-hmm. And it is this, this delivery of services in, a, in affiliation with your partners that seems to be the ticket. But the American mm-hmm. Planning Association, uh, the Association of State Floodplain Managers, uh, the Coastal States Organization, which is a great uh, group of coastal uh, management professionals, I love that organization. The National Association of Counties, uh, as you mentioned, also the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association. We are fans of that organization. Um, the National States Geographic Information Council, uh, the NOAA Office for Coastal Management, and this is interesting. The Nature Conservancy is a partner of yours, along with the Urban land institute so those tell us why partnerships are so important to the digital coast effort i really appreciate you guys getting here it's actually my favorite part of of digital coast and that is our direct link to our constituent base um when we when we were scoping uh digital coast in the beginning uh we we as an office a small office within noaa uh, we we were inundated with requests for technical assistance and trainings and and we only had resources that could go so far and so we had various constituent groups asking for our services and we it was hard to meet the demand it still is but it was very hard to justify why we weren't meeting the demand and and so what we did we we had this 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 idea to form this external partnership with these national uh, organizations that represented all these or, all these individuals that were coming to us for services, and we tried to uh, engage a really broad. And if you as you rattle off those names, uh, I bet there's some organizations that maybe some listeners aren't familiar with, and and that's on purpose because we wanted a, a very broad and diverse uh, mission-oriented groups to help us uh, understand. Not what the not only what their individual uh, missions were and what their memberships needed uh, to make more informed decisions, but what were those commonalities? Uh, what were those common issues? What were those common data streams? What were those common tools that all of their members needed? And so we brought this group together back in 2007, and hey, we told them we got this vision of setting up this new program, this new new project. Uh, here's what we wanted to do. Tell us what what do your members need, and these 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 organizations are 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 really um, the driver um, and give us the confidence to know that we 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 truly have a constituent driven program uh, with Digital Coast. Um, you have the you mentioned you mentioned the all of them the you know the planners are forty thousand members of APA. Um, yeah. Floodplain managers have about twenty thousand members. Coastal states you're familiar with, you know, they represent the 34 coastal states and territories. 
um, near the 29 estuarine research reserves. NISGIC, the National States Geographic Information Council, is probably a group many don't know about that much, but they're the GIOs, the Geographic Information Officers and CIOs for every state and report, their reps report to the governors on geospatial information. The National Association of Counties, 3,000 counties and elected officials, Nature Conservancy, Conservation Metric, and then the Urban Land Institute representing real estate, um, banking, uh, land developers, uh, insurance industry. So a very diverse representation um, in getting these guys to, to help us understand those common needs is what formed the, the foundation for what Digital Coast became. And, and what makes this really sing is constant, const, constant engagement on their, on their nickel. They, they, they continue to be actively engaged with us on the Digital Coast since day one. We meet quarterly with the with representatives from these organizations. We attend conferences with them, jointly present. They they do tremendous amount of outreach on Digital Coast. They they advocate for Digital Coast. They provide content into the Digital Coast. Uh, they are, they are the secret sauce that really makes it makes it all work. And it's not as um, uh, you know the website is the public face, and that's what everyone sees, but. These are the drivers with why Digital Coast is successful. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is a community out there at the end of the day of uh, different, you know, sometimes we think of our, ourselves as siloed professionals, but when it comes to understanding and wrapping our collective heads around, uh, Let's be real. We're talking about dy a dynamic place, the coast. Data mm -hmm. is really, uh, there's a lot of it, and it's changing a lot. <laughs> and uh, we must rely on our communities uh, to understand what's important. And I think that that is a true success story for the digital coast. Uh, I want to move to the stories tab, uh, Mickey. Um, because I, I think this is another way to learn, um, maybe not, maybe not for you guys internally, but certainly for the, for the public at large to learn, uh, how this data and how the real world is, is interfacing, uh, with the data, I guess you could say it's a way to put it, or maybe it's the other way around, but, uh, why, why the stories tab was that envisioned from the beginning of digital course to have uh, coast to have a stories tab or is this something that kind of came about more recently? I'm, I'm curious. It seems to be um, definitely more of a contemporary uh, feature. It seems in the management space. What's the story there? It actually was uh, in the beginning. Uh, the vision was to share, share across our community, our coastal community of how folks are uh, the issues they're, they're addressing and, and how they're using the dual coast resources to address those issues. You know, there, there's the, um, you know, from a federal agency perspective, you know, it's, it's always good to show the benefit of what we're investing in. And so a quick story, a one pager that a leader can print out or we can showcase how a local community has used the resources is, is, is you know, one benefit of that for sure. Uh, but the driver was to share. It was if somebody in uh, Oregon had 
uh, an issue they were addressing, uh, trying to address bluff erosion, for example. Uh, maybe someone along the coast of Wisconsin also is addressing bluff erosion. And, and, and well, how did they do that? What, what resources did they, they, they use? Uh, what was the process they used to ingest those resources and create a product or examine uh, a, a scenario of, of increased bluff erosion to, to come to a decision? So it was, it was about sharing uh, across the coastal resource management community was a driver and another driver for us to document the return on investment that, that we're able to achieve. Um, it's really nice. Uh, used to uh, challenge the staff. Um, when we when we began stories from the field uh, uh, years ago, I would say, "Hey, we I, I want to have t twelve of these uh, on the website by a certain amount of time," you know. And and soon we were in, in exploding with examples. You're, you're well so past now we twelve now. Now we curate. <laughs> now we curate those examples um, because we have so many, and we we update them. So so it's not. You know, we have over, I think, 120 or maybe 150 on the website now. I can't recall, but uh, we're going through them now and culling, so we're knocking out the older ones. So well, there's, some really good, nice. there's some nice great stuff do. on here. One that caught my attention, and these, as you're saying, are brief uh, summaries of how the information from Digital Coast has been applied in the real world. But one that is caught my eye, because I'm a Texas guy, but I've also worked on this particular problem when I was at the Coastal Management Program. Uh, but it's about assessing and managing prop scar damage to seagrasses in Texas. And because you guys have this amazingly detailed aerial photography that's compiled over a period of time, you can examine prop scar damage in seagrass beds in particular area and get a feel for the problem how it's changing or growing and whether the actions you're taking are reducing it i mean this is the kind of simple straightforward good data makes better decisions uh, analysis and I, that's why i love the story section of the website and it's a good place to to, to kind of peck around and see what people honestly, do honestly honestly what came to mind is like i would almost start with yeah, the story no, section yeah. it's, it's kind of inspiring yeah just start there you really can see all the different ways to look at this stuff well you know uh mickey you're talking about the return on investment so i want to ask you a couple of things um this is a public institution that you're running here at the at the science and geospatial services uh, division uh, at NOAA, uh, how much do we invest in digital coasts? Can you put a number on that? Is there a line item for it? And how many people a year are accessing and utilizing the site? Yeah, a couple. Um, one there, you know, I'll start with the, the budget line. And there is no budget line for digital coast. Um, I, the, the, the cost associated with maintaining it and running the partnership um, and developing the resources come from the OSHA, uh, Office for Coastal Management budget line. So there's not a separate line at this time. And we, we, what we track or is the, the digital coast, what we call a digital coast framework project. And that is about $2 million a year to, to uh, ensure that we're meeting with all the partners and that we're maintaining the website uh, and ingesting all the data and information into it. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty That's, small investment. That is overall. an incredibly small investment. That's a rounding error in uh, any, any federal program, a couple of million dollars to pull this together and make it available to coastal professionals in the public is a damn good deal. 
Now, what I will augment that with, just to be clear for your user, now we do, uh, it doesn't account for all the investment other people are making in the data collection. Right. So and all of the, sad, just, that, the cost that of satellites. <laughs> that two million is how we make it accessible. So, so there is another uh, cost uh, associated with every data collect that is beyond that number. So I just, just want to be clear that that's yeah, not all it takes, but that's, that's for us to maintain the website and the partnership and, um, and the ingestion of, of the data, but this doesn't go towards all the collection. Absolutely not. I mean, as a guy who used to be working with the army and, and, and at Stennis, uh, space center on satellite imagery, uh, we spend a lot of money to get good satellite imagery in the United uh -huh. States of America that we make available to the world at large. Not all of it. Some of it's a little more secretive, <laughs> but uh, there's a whole bunch uh, that is available. And I got to tell you, over my career in uh, coastal management, uh, going back you know, about the time, you, know, you and I started about the same year, 1996 is when I graduated from Lewis and Clark Law School and started working on coastal issues, uh, uh, there has been a, this explosion of available data. And I have to say that when we first got a hold of LIDAR data, when I was at the general land office in, in Austin, Texas, the state coastal management agency, we could not process it. We, we didn't have the computer bandwidth. We didn't really know how to do it. It was, it was raw. It had not been converted into contours. Uh, Aerial photography was really, really difficult to get uh, that was timely and, and comparable year to year so you could make comparisons. I mean, those problems have been solved by a number of players uh, in the private and public sector at the federal level and at state level. But I'll tell you, it makes a huge difference to have the, the resources that you guys have now compiled into this one digital portal available uh, for coastal management professionals around the country. It's just awesome. I appreciate that. And and you had asked in your previous question as well, the second part, which I didn't get to, was the, the, the number of users. And what we, we, what we track is on a, on a quarterly basis, we track unique hits by zip code. And so between we have unique uh, hits from across the country or around 55 to 6,500 unique hits a quarter. That doesn't include multiple, you know, uh, entities hitting those resources. But so every we track it by quarter and around roughly around 6,000. There's always peaks during hurricane season, which is logical. Um, but that that's, gives you a rough feel for how many communities are are accessing the information. And, and then we have, of course, total number of web hits. But that's, you know, web statistics, you know, you can play with those numbers uh, and give you some big numbers as well. So, uh, we, but we do, uh, we provide, there's, there's a info or ask a question feature on the website. We get questions all the time where we, we, we try to respond within 48 hours, provide that technical assistance and service. Um, and that's where some of that government done right uh, uh, messaging comes back is we have many, many folks who ask us questions and are really surprised of how quickly we respond and, and address their issues. And, and a lot of times it's not us that has the answer, but we do hook them up and, and provide, provide contacts in other parts of the agency or even other agencies at times to answer some of the questions people have. So a uh, lesson here, ladies and gentlemen, is if you are a coastal professional and you need 
to use some data, access some data, learn how to use the data, you got to be going to the NOAA Digital Coast portal. This is probably... Stop number one. Stop number one. It's like if you're yeah. in college, you have a research paper. You're going to be going to the library. Yeah, this is the go library. To the, go to the NOAA Digital Coast, and it is your data library for uh, the coast. No doubt about it. Now, speaking of data, Mickey, you mentioned we, we were talking about the different data categories, and we, we wanted to circle back to the socioeconomic data, which I think is cool. I think it's cool you got that. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that you include it uh, along with all of your other kind of like geophysical data. Uh, talk, talk to us about this uh, socioeconomic data. And you mentioned that something about it uh, you wanted to share. Uh, let us have it. Yeah. Uh, so the, there's a lot of interest in what the ocean and marine economy provides to our nation. And so we've been working for years on, on an economic data set. Uh, it's called Economic Na National Ocean Watch. And, and now more recently working on... Uh, a study with the Bureau of Economic Analysis uh, within the Department of Commerce um, on, a, on statistics on the marine economy. And the, these, these data comprise uh, 10 sectors representing business dependent on, on the nation's uh, oceans, coasts, and, and Great Lakes. And, and so we're compiling those data to really uh, capture how uh, the, marine, the U.S. economy is impacted by uh, the marine economy. And, and so we're generating all those data. Um, it demonstrates how the marine economy is growing faster than the U.S. economy as a whole by almost 6%. Um, how many jobs, you know, and this is from, two, uh, let me be clear, this is from 2018 data. That's how far back we've been able, or we've been able to assimilate. Um, but over 2 million jobs associated with with the marine economy and so it's really um we really feel it's really important information to, for our nation to understand how the contributions uh, or how the marine economy is really uh, contributing to our overall economy yeah 100 so yeah, one hundred percent, Mickey. And the reason why is is what it answers is why should we care about better management of our coastal resources, lands, and waters? Uh, and when you have, and we use this information at Coastal News today, we when we were examining whether we could put together a publication dedicated to coastal news and compilation and a podcast network devoted to this we said you know it's worth a lot of money people don't understand how big the coastal economy is how much it contributes to the national gdp uh there are the economic sector analysis that you guys do is superb and it for for decision makers out there uh it's the justification why should we be better why should we work harder why should we try to do it right we do it right we want to do that because it is worth doing right because the value of this region and what it means economically across the country is huge and i think people don't really think of the blue economy it's sometimes called or the ocean economy mm -hmm. as right. a separate sector of the u.s gdp and it's massive yeah and what we do with those data too is put it into in down to the county level so those local official officials can gain that knowledge and appreciation as well uh, one uh, another uh, resource that is very popular with elected officials is our coastal county snapshots, and we have three of them. Uh, one is floods, one's wetlands, and one is uh, 
economics. And and there, any coastal county uh, elected official can pull up their county and and really see the numbers on on that impact from the marine yeah. economy, and the ocean economy. And it's a very popular tool. And and what we're doing next is integrating those data with information like this uh, sea level rise viewer and understanding infrastructure risks and to at the county level. So that's where we're going next. And we're really excited about uh, connecting those economic data sets with the um, other data sets we have on coastal flooding. That'll have to be another show uh, in the yeah, future. We need to do another show. Uh, I noticed, Nicholas, that your name is at the bottom of the strategic plan for Digital Coast 2016 to 2021. It's time for an update. I'm sure you're in the middle of that process right now. Uh, so uh, you're talking about this integration of the economic analysis into the flood, and we're seeing this done by First Street and a, a nonprofit organization that is beginning to examine the impact on the, re- the on the real estate economy and property values around the American shoreline uh, from sea level rise and other coastal risks. That initiative is so important to decision makers around the country. I'm so glad that you guys are going to start to take a shot at that kind of analysis. Is that sort of where you're headed? Yeah, somewhat uh, similar. Uh, we've been fortunate to work with uh, Climate Central and other groups like like that, and provide them all of our data. So, so you know, we we began this conversation, or early in this conversation, we talked about how we work with private enterprise, and 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 that's one way we share. Um, again, this all the information on Digital Coast is accessible, whether it's a elected official, a coastal manager, or a private firm that that wants to enhance the the value of the data that are being provided. And, and so we, we see a, a niche in there for us to ensure that we're communicating and, and with our constituency how they want the, that information. And yeah, we'll be exploring ways to integrate these data more in the future. And, and yes, you mentioned the STRAT plan. We're actually in the process of updating that. And the new strategic plan will be available come January. Well, uh, it is. it says on the website, I think this is absolutely a true uh, uh, tagline for this organization digital coast it says government done right i'd love you know i'm a big fan of trying to talk about and educate the american people about the good work that are done by the federal workforce and uh, we often look down on them sometimes the politicians like beat up on the bureaucrats as they call it i've never liked that term i've worked with too many damn smart professionals in government service and i'm real proud to be able to help people understand the good work that's being done in the government and uh, i absolutely uh mickey you guys this is government done right it's absolutely what we should do it's big bang for the buck and i think uh good service to the to the country and good service to coastal americans so uh, thanks for what you're doing well thank you peter and tyler i really appreciate the opportunity to share um, I can talk about Digital Coast for days. So the next time you want to have a conversation, I'd be, be happy to have a follow-up. Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. It is Nicholas Mickey Schmidt, the Division Chief of Science and Geospatial Services at the Office for Coastal Management at NOAA, one of the great parts of the agency. Uh, Nikki, thanks, Mickey, thanks for taking us on a tour of Digital Coast. It's a great portal. 
Uh, so listeners out there, uh, Google it up, take a look. If you're a local elected official on the American shoreline, if you're a coastal professional or planner, if you're a consultant or an engineer, this is the portal to access the best information the federal government has compiled on coastal issues. And uh, really super, Mickey, thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast. Birds on the long sun.